Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 148, recorded on May 27th of 2021. Uh, the Photo Geekery Show. You know, you've been listening to this, I hope, for a while. If you're new to it, well, I'm your host, Don Kamarechka. Uh, and with me, as always, is a guest host to talk about the geeky stuff in the photo industry news or the things that we can really dive under the hood uh, to, you know, kind of pick apart the way that other people might just kind of gloss across the surface of uh, we like to dig deep it could be ethics and legal technology is one of the biggest ones uh, including software technology and that's one of our main stories this week and with me to discuss these stories um, is Mr. Steve Brazel with a guest appearance in story number two from Jordan Drake but uh, I've got you on the on the line right now Steve so how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic thank you very much for asking and having me as always and Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first show you've ever done with two, count them, two people. Yeah, so I'd welcome feedback. If you're listening to this and you like the format, let me know. Uh, and uh, and you can find the contact information on the website at photogeekweekly.com. Um, but uh, Steve, what, what's, what's new and exciting with you? I mean, we talk regularly, but life is constantly evolving, especially now that we are slowly transitioning back to whatever our new normal is going to be. Yeah, not, uh, you know, same thing as always. I'm doing... Uh the podcast is often as usual and haven't, I just had our, our mutual friend, Ant Pruitt. He's the current guest on right now and uh, just kind of having fun and doing that type of thing. Holiday weekend coming up here in the U.S. And so I'll be- We just had uh, ours. Pull, yeah, pulling a couple of extra shifts at the radio station. So that'll be fun. I haven't done a, a seven to midnight in a while and I'm doing that on, on Monday and that'll be fun. Yeah, you so, usually yeah. do the morning uh, segments yeah. there at yeah. uh, KCAL, right? Yep, and and uh, doing rock radio in the evening is always a fun thing with a different kind of audience, so I love it. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for being here for another episode of this podcast. Um, I want to give some people a, uh, a quick little update on my book um, because it's shipping now every single day. Just before this, uh, this recording, I came back from the postal distribution center where I drove up with 150 books being shipped out. Uh, and the Postal uh, employers are getting really curious now at this point because every day, you know, it's 100 plus books that are being dropped off. And so I think I might just give them one of the defective copies um, just to uh, uh, satisfy their curiosity of what's inside, what will be thousands of boxes running through that postal facility. But all the overseas shipments from the Kickstarter campaign are in the mail. Um, nice. And I'm starting to trickle out some of the uh, the U.S. and uh, Canadian orders, especially some of the unique use cases, like uh, if somebody was buying like three books and I have to custom make a box uh, because I don't, I didn't buy boxes to, to fit that particular size. Uh, and so, um, who could I say? I don't want to like say specific names, but I do know a listener to this podcast, Jeff who ordered three books, I just finished packing up your box before I sat down at my desk. So, because you ordered three of them, so that it's not like you're jumping the line or anything. It's just I want to get all of the unique cases out of the way first so that I can get through everything else and everybody should be getting their books in a couple of weeks. Um, how, uh, many, you know, how many total are you shipping? Over, three, over 3,000. 
uh, wow. that I will be shipping. Yeah. So um, for, from the Kickstarter campaign, plus the current pre-orders uh, and so on. And it was really fun to see going through the list. It's like, oh, I had no idea. I had so many fans in Malaysia. Um, oh, and, interesting. Uh, lots in Australia and New Zealand. So thank you all, uh, to, uh, uh, to everyone down under for, uh, you know, pitching in and supporting that particular project. Some, uh, uh, some books actually cost me far more to ship than I would have expected. And so I've been kind of taking a loss on some of those things because the numbers are always changing. Like in, in 2019, when I calculated the rough estimates of weight and size of the boxes, uh, to ship to places like Moldova, well, um, I had to eat most of the contribution on that in just shipping costs. Thankfully, there's not a whole lot of that going on. But the books are all going out. So happy to be in a routine right now. And uh, that momentum is just keeping me energized. So uh, thank you to everybody for uh, your patience with that project. Uh, and before long, um, possibly within the next week or two or three, you'll be getting your books. So there we go. Uh, although I... I, I will say that I uh, sent the overseas ones out first because they're going surface mail, most of them. Um, and that could take more than a month to get there. So you'll get it when you get it. It's on the way. Um, with that said, let's go into the stories of the day, of the week. Uh, and the top story here, this one is an interesting one because it, you can be really opinionated about this type of thing. Um uh, from DP Review, Adobe's May Photoshop update adds new save feature, improves neural filters, and more. So uh, Adobe, ever since they transitioned to um, uh, subscription model uh, software, I've noticed that they've slowed down quite a bit in revolutionary new features. Uh, maybe it's because they didn't have any more and they knew that this subscription business model would keep them in business because, um, you know, people need to keep paying to have access to the features that they're already using on the, uh, the, the, I guess, promise that you will be constantly getting new features without having to pay a massive increase in uh, in a new version. Uh, I'm not sure if I've necessarily seen that, but here we are up to version 22.4. And it it kind of breaks something for me. And and I hate when software that I depend on on a regular basis misbehaves uh, or changes its behavior in, in such a way. And I know Adobe knows this because... Um, if you go into like the actions panel uh, or any of the, uh, you know, the old elements, the old underlying structures of the software, um, they are archaic because if they start changing stuff there that people have been using for decades, people will be up in arms. Well, they've just done one of those big changes with this, with the save functionality. Uh, and for me, this was somewhat detrimental because I went to go and save my image, just sort of save as, so that I'm, I, I'm, that's what I've always been using as saving as a copy. Um, and the option to save an image as a JPEG wasn't there because my image was either it wasn't 16 uh, or, or it wasn't eight bit or it wasn't a flattened image. Like it didn't meet the criteria for a JPEG and therefore they removed JPEG from the save as option. Now it is available in their new save tool, uh, the save as copy tool. Um, and I, maybe this is more controversial than I'm uh, or less controversial than I'm making it out to be. Um, but I find that if you change one thing that is so 
ingrained in my muscle memory of how I operate such that I will be mistakenly clicking that save as button now because I'm not allowed to, um, that it's going to infuriate, uh, infuriate me for the next six months or so before I finally retrain my behaviors around that. Uh, what say you, Steve? So this brought up so many memories to me. Years ago in macOS, Apple in its own apps made changes to the save command. So we've all been trained for years that you had save and you had save as. And in many ways, they were interchangeable. If a document had never been saved before and you chose save, it asked you for a name. If it had been saved before and you chose save, it just saved it under the current name. Save as gave you an additional feature of being able to go in and just simply rename something. Well, on, on Mac OS in their word processor, for example, you had save and then you had duplicate. And that confused a lot of people when it happened. Now, I've kind of gotten used to it, but what they're doing here is insane. First of all, the normal save as dialog box or save dialog box that they've always had has always had a checkbox for save as a copy. There's yep. no reason that these can't be in the same dialog box. In fact, from the screenshot that I saw, I haven't looked in Photoshop yet, although I've updated. In the, in the screenshot that I saw, there is a button in the one dialog box, if your format is not there for you, that you can click to go into save a copy. They could have just included those formats if they wanted to. They could have popped up the normal box they've done a million other times that says, you know, like, for example, save uh, Photoshop has the save with compatibility dialog box that pops up and says, do you want to save this with maximum compatibility? And you can say, never show this dialog box again. It should have been something like that, where if well, you go and, in and, and, and you also, choose JPEG and it says, you know, you've got layers here, we can't save the layers, you could simply say, don't ever show me that again. Exactly. And so that's a one-time nuisance goes away. You never see it again. Um, I remember that there was uh, a tutorial I saw. This was years ago. I don't know if it's still available as, as an option, but uh, you have the ability to go in and remove things, remove items from the, uh, the file types that you could save as. Because who honestly saves a JPEG 2000 file? Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so you can go in, you, you could remove all the ones that you are never going to use, or at least you used to be able to way back when. I haven't revisited that uh, in, in a while. And I, I was always thinking, why can't I do something super simple, like right click on one of those things and have another window come up and say, uh, you know, don't show this file type again. Uh, I, I think something very simple, very uh, user-friendly to remove things that you're not going to use to simplify the types of files would be helpful and move in the right direction. But this just seems like, I, I don't think anybody was asking for this. I think that they were complaining of accidentally saving over a previous version of the file and not retaining uh, the original. And so to make it very clear that you were saving a copy to change the, the verbiage on that right from the beginning kind of covers their butt a bit. Um, yeah, but, but then you go back to the same thing. And that is your job in, in my definition, at least as a developer is to write software that meets certain basic standards. For example, you know, years ago, you always put, and still to this day, really, you put save, you put edit under an edit menu, you put you know open and close under a file menu. You're supposed to, to build your software to a standard. 
you're not supposed to save the user from themselves. If you start going down the road of saving a user from themselves, then weird things happen. And by the way, the current version of Photoshop at the time we're recording this, at least on, on Mac, is 22.4.1. And I actually tweeted. It was so funny when you added this story to the mix because I tweeted, what, Tuesday of this week. Every time Adobe updates Photoshop, it becomes less stable. I have constant crashes with 22.4.1 on macOS Catalina. Their suggested fix, by the way, is to go into accessibility and full disk rights on Mac. I do that. It works. I reboot. It works. Half a day later, without a reboot, it suddenly won't open again and crashes on launch. Uh, I actually added, I'm ready to leave Adobe or drink a whiskey. I'm not sure which one yet. <laughs> but it, it appears as though the latest Mac OS update may have solved part of that. But I have constant issues with Photoshop. Have you ever seen this one? I don't know if you do on Windows, but you'll select an entire document, Control or Command A, and uh, you get your little, you know, notification and and moving ants that it's selected. And when you deselect it, visually I see a white line still around the the image, even though I, there I've, is no white some, line there. I, I've had some uh, other issues where. If I'm if I've got something that is floating, like it's a layer, but the pixels are hitting the edge of the frame, um, but just the edge of the frame, right? Like they, they're it's not like an image that I uh, I have transformed to be larger than the uh, the, the current crop. Um, it is right at the edge. Um, if I then in that context, if I resize the image down to a smaller size and then save it as a JPEG, I get this really faint sub-pixel white border around the image. And that that's has what persisted I'm talking about. for yep. years. No, that, that's in the final output JPEG file. Oh, oh, yes. I've uh, seen so, that too. Uh, and and it's, it's annoying, and I have to remember to flatten the image before I scale it down when I'm saving as a JPEG in order to, uh, to remove that. And there's other things like in InDesign, which I was using to write my book. Um, sometimes I would copy some text from there to put it somewhere else. Copying text from InDesign is, it's a minefield. Like you take one step, you might just not get anything. You take another step, you might blow up. I mean, um, it, it's so inconsistent that... Um, I, I can't imagine how software in 2021 is still having copy and paste issues. Um, and sometimes you would have to go in and to be concretely sure you're copying it, you know, the keyboard shortcuts, control C, control V or command um, right. uh, on a Mac. And um, I know you'd have to like go into the, like the, whatever the edit menu or right click menu and deliberately choose copy. And then it would copy it. Um, I, we shouldn't have these issues at this point. These seem so fundamental. And I didn't test this, by the way. Um, but it's still uh, a pet peeve of mine that I cannot save multiple copies of an image at the same time in Photoshop. They may have finally fixed that. I'm not going to hold my breath on it. Um, because well, sometimes- and, and I, would, I would argue that's, that's a little more of a niche issue, kind of like they added support for 64-bit Windows 10 ARM. I don't hey, see a ton of people on Windows have... 10 arms scrambling going, I've got to have access to Photoshop on here. Sure, but they still don't have support for Apple's HEIC format, right? No. They don't have support for the, um, what is it, the WebP uh, image format that I see being used much more commonly on Actually, websites. Actually, I can, I can open 
a high efficiency image from from my iPhone. Oh, well, uh, maybe that's because you're in the Apple ecosystem and I'm on Windows. You can't? Uh, I don't believe so. Uh, I, I haven't tried in See, the last version, though, so that, that may have changed. But I would argue the, the the issue I mentioned with the white line around the issue you mentioned with the white line around the saved image these little things I see reported all over the place. The issue I was having with crashing on Catalina, there are huge amounts of blog posts and forum posts with people having the exact same issue, and yet they are releasing, you know, a smart portrait and makeup transfer neural engines. And I just think to myself, I understand that that you are in a mindset of we have to we have to have new features so that people feel like the subscription model is working for them but come on man there's yeah. so many bugs in this software that i have times where just editing text is hit and miss yeah and you know it's it's funny because you see a lot of um uh, other manufacturers of uh, of image editing software you've got phase 1 you've got on 1 Heck, even I think Corel is still around uh, from forever ago. I believe their products are still current. I haven't used Corel since high school. Yeah. But, um, you know, th there's a lot of competition out there that, you know, the reason why those markets are growing is because I think people are getting fed up with Adobe. Um, and, and as a piggyback yeah. story to this, On One just announced their No Noise AI, which promises um, the uh, fastest and best noise reduction on the market. Now, I haven't had a chance to use this yet, uh, but I do know the folks at On One and uh, and the engineering talent there is top notch. And I've seen some examples of what it's been able to do in certain scenarios where you have predictable textures because AI is all about learning the subject, right? Like fur and hair, uh, you know, building textures and, you know, leaf textures and understanding what the subject is and trying to remove noise while retaining the proper textures therein. Um, and that's that's a great use, I, I think, of AI. Um, and so I'm seeing that. And I know that uh, as soon as On One introduced their digital asset manager um, a while back, uh, I think it was two or three years ago now, that I was really seriously looking at that as an alternative for Lightroom. Um, but I still have to stay with Photoshop because of its focus stacking process as a macro photographer. It's just one of those tools that uh, in the way that I use it, there's no other uh, software on the market that can properly replace it. And I think Adobe is banking on some of these niches, uh, like I have, that are keeping people along. Um, but as soon as I can translate my workflow somewhere else, you know, I don't need to use Premiere for video editing. I can right. use DaVinci Resolve. I can use so many other pieces of software. Um, you know, there's uh, competitive products for InDesign and Photoshop and Lightroom and everything else. But if I can avoid those niches, I will dive head first into other software, um, especially because they are like on one when I have brought up issues to them. Uh, with uh, some other software, it's easy to get an actual response and not just, oh, you can't find a support email or to all you get is a canned automated response or right. see Well, and nothing. this is what I talked about. <laughs> you you and I talked in the green room about the, the review I did on this moment gear I mentioned last time I was on the show, the, the, these moment MagSafe mounts. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Everything has problems sooner or later. 
The question is, how does a company deal with it when you reach out to them? And on one was good for you. And that's one of my problems again. And, and let's be clear, we're not talking about Lightroom. We're talking about Photoshop. There are alternatives to Lightroom. People use Capture One. People use On One, a, a number of things. But there are a number of tools. I know people on the Mac platform that have 100% switched from Photoshop 90% of the time, <laughs> right? So exactly. they, they, they've 100% left Photoshop for Affinity Photo, except for those just unusual things like the stacking or like something, some other niche feature that's in Photoshop that it does better than anything else. And they are... Again, I've and I've so if you need years. it for that ten percent of the time, then you still have but to pay your subscription. It's not dues. Photoshop anymore. I mean, when they added three D, for example, again, you're starting to do what Microsoft did with Microsoft Word years ago, where it was a word processor and ran well, and then they added charting to it, and then they added native spreadsheeting to it, rather than embedding an Excel spreadsheet. You can create software that's so bloated it's no longer useful, and you have to say things like regarding this save as button, they have a paragraph in one of their documents I looked up. Quote, if you, I mean, when you have to word things like this to your customers, <laughs> you've got to reevaluate your life priorities. If you'd like to save a layered file as a flat file, you'll need to create a new version of the document. Also, if you don't see a desired format like JPEG or PNG, use a save, uh, save a copy option for all formats and create a preserved version of your document. In other words, you just said, we know you're going to look for something you're not going to find. So let us tell you how to find it. And yet again, they're adding all these neural filters. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you mentioned uh, Office. Uh, I, I'm still using Office 2013 because I've got a perpetual license for it and it was good enough and the features- Stable as heck, actually. That was a good version of Office. And they're still updating it. Uh, and there's rumors that, uh, you know, uh, that they're updating it for security fixes and things, which I'm happy about. But there, there are rumors uh, that, that are substantiated that in uh, in this year, there will be an Office 21, uh, a, a 2021 perpetual uh, version as well. And I will be a customer for that version. You know, it's been, what, eight, nine years since I've got Office uh, 2013 and to get another perpetual license that could last me for another decade and eight, nine years yeah. updates. And, uh, and that's fine. I don't mind that, especially when it's something that doesn't really change a whole lot. My use case for spreadsheets, you know, my use case right. for formatting a you know, a word processor document. Um, you know, that I think, uh, is the epitome of stability. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I think I, I was in touch with somebody at Microsoft at the time. I think his name was Eric. Eric hooked me up, uh, with that knowledge on office 2021. If you can, uh, I think you might've listened to the podcast back then, uh, or, uh, earlier on. But my point is though, that if, if I, could buy a stable version of Photoshop right now with a perpetual license, I would. And yep. I, and so long as they're providing, uh, you know, security updates, if there's some bug that it processes an image format the wrong way, then, you know, you could get an escalated privilege uh, or, uh, you know, unauthorized execution of code type of exploits on your computer system. You always want to have those security updates. Um, but if Adobe offered that, I, I'd pay full price for it now. And then walk away from the company. Well, you and you just you just said something interesting. The issue with the complaints about like there was a comment on this article 
I read a couple of the comments. One of them was, why is Adobe charging me for this? And the issue that people are having with the subscription model, when it first came out, people were like, you know what, 10 bucks a month for the photography plan, well worth it. The people, the issues that people I think are having with the subscription model now is you're you're releasing new features that I don't need. I would be okay buying a one-time license and keeping it for eight years because I don't need these additional features. Whereas if you want to add features people like, you brought up the on one, the new on one no noise AI. This looks really cool. It looks really cool. Denoise just came out with uh, version 3.1. It's on sale right now for 60 bucks at the time that we're recording this. And then there's a bundle that includes their Sharpen AI, Denoise AI, and Gigapixel AI. This and is from Topaz, right? This is Topaz Denoise, which is supposed yeah. to be great, but a lot of people complain it's too slow. Well, this new No Noise AI from On One is supposed to be better results, or at least their goal is it aims to give better results than any other noise reduction application on the market today. It does luminance and color noise. And not only is it the 10 times faster you mentioned, but it has the full on-one progressive sharpening built in. Now, Topaz Denoise has some sharpening built in, but most people report you th you're still better off to, to use Denoise and then go into Topaz Sharpen AI. If this has everything denoising and resharpening built in, why isn't Photoshop adding that to well, Adobe Photoshop adding that did to Photoshop? Add their uh, their upscaling um, tool. The uh, I forget what they call it right now, but when when you're uh, upresing a photograph, um, they have a uh, a new version that mimics fairly closely to on one's uh, a perfect resize. And so, you know, some of those third-party tools kind of get negated that in, in their usefulness. There is still some differences, and, and I, I still love supporting the, the on-one ecosystem and it using their software because it's great. But um, I, I would like, ideally for me, give me Photoshop right now in its current form that I can use for a decade. And if there's new technology that comes out, likely it's not coming from Adobe first, um, the way right. the current trends are going, uh, and then I can use plugins. Well, uh, hold, hold on, hold on. Hold on. There people. are exceptions to that. I mean, really, some of the the um, uh, I, my mind just went blank on the word I'm looking for. But you know, the patch tool and and the the uh, oh, I'm not saying there's nothing type tools. Uh, those came out really well with Adobe first. Adobe does innovate in that sense. Just to be clear, but that that was a long time ago, though, Steve. I, I mean, agree. I agree. Living on their living on their laurels. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so like when you see some some neural, uh, you know, uh, some AI stuff starting to come up from Adobe now, that's great. They're well behind the curve on that. Um, and who knows what's going to be announced from any of the other image editing programs uh, coming up next. You know, we see this one from On One, No Noise. You think they're just resting on their laurels and saying, no, no, they, they're I'm certain that them and Topaz and everybody else, they're working on the next best thing um, in order to usurp the king of Adobe. Uh, and well, here's here's a question for you. The the neural filters that are in Photoshop now, AI powered neural filters, there's as best I could count. There's three quote unquote release ones, skin smoothing, JPEG artifacts, removal and style transfer. Staying with those. Will you use any of them? No. 
in beta, which by the way, this is a new thing in this latest May update. These are all available in the same dialogue box now. Uh, and there's even a wait list in there that you can see. And what's kind of cool is yes, users can vote these up or down, which ones they want to see development on. But in beta, smart portrait, which is the make it smile or not weird thing, makeup transfer, depth blur, super zoom, and colorize. Will you use any of those? No. <laughs> That's my I point. Mean, and yet this so is a some big of part of this like, May update. Well, exactly. Like, like a portrait mode or or those types of, you know, making somebody smile or frown or facial modifications like that. I find that to be more suited for a mobile platform. And so if that is in a mobile version of Photoshop, maybe it will find more uses. But, uh, you know, like the computational photography involved in my smartphone is going to be where I would utilize any of those tools and not for any of my professional work. And I always think of Photoshop as a professional tool. And right. a lot of that, I mean, really, are, are we at the point now where we need better JPEG artifact removal tools? Like, <laughs> again, no. <laughs> and if you do, I would argue you need You've or, been doing it wrong for a long time. That's yes, what I would argue. Yes. And 10 times the people, 10 times the users, actual users of Photoshop will want built-in better noise reduction, built-in, you know, better features that exist in other platforms. Here's a good way to look at this though. This is a huge opportunity. Updates like this, the bugs that we've discussed, the fact that I believe Adobe's focus is on the wrong features. Whether they're innovating or not, I believe they're looking in the wrong direction. This is a huge opportunity for third parties like on one or Affinity or Topaz or DxO. DxO's, yep. you know, editor is is highly rated. These companies have an opportunity here. Capture one, whether they'll capitalize on it. That's an interesting. Well, that um, that remains to be seen, and we'll keep our finger on the pulse of. Um, of how that software continues to shape up, especially now that we're getting, um, you know, hardware improvements on the Mac side with the M1 chips and and what those successors are going to be. It's going to be interesting. And I think we might even see a divergence where if those, uh, if you have a cool feature that is bound by hardware limitations that all of a sudden evaporate, then you might have versions of Photoshop or other software tools that all of a sudden have new features on certain hardware platforms because you are inherently independently developing them. They're different architectures. Right. Uh, and so th there might be a branch off, actually. And this is one of the things that I'm predicting here right now, May 27th, 2021. I'm predicting there will be a branch uh, of Photoshop that will start to gain new features based on the microarchitecture of the processor that it's on. Uh, and because there has been such an adoption on Apple and an immediate rollout that supports the Apple architecture, uh, I, I really truly think that those chips within the next five years are going to start getting new features in Photoshop that are either crippled or non-existent in x86-based versions of the same software. I, I completely agree with you. And here's an interesting thing. Tyler Stallman, who does a podcast and is well-known, uh, tweeted something today or yesterday, I forget when I saw it, and that is, do you think Adobe will release an Apple Silicon native version of Lightroom Classic? 
Oh, that's a great question. Because they, so. they're clearly pushing people to Lightroom CC. They uh, as soon as they named it Lightroom Classic, I knew its days were numbered. Right, and so. I'm wondering if they will. There again is another opportunity. They seem to be very focused on mobile, whereas I'm not going to upload gigabytes and terabytes of photos to the cloud so that I can edit them on my iPad. It's nice to have Photoshop for iPad, but not for the use model they're pushing. Yep. Yeah. More, they're really pushing the syncing between devices, which is handy for small amounts. But that's going to be the question to me because, like you say, the, the Apple M1 in many ways, is a beast. Well said, Steve. Now, now for story two, something completely different. Actually, the first time on this podcast that I've had two guests on the same episode. Um, for this one, I decided to bring back Jordan Drake to talk about some interesting news from Panasonic that has just been announced. Now, uh, just for you know, a full disclosure here, Jordan and I uh, are recording this under embargo and are uh, publishing it after the fact. Um, so uh, I'm actually talking to Jordan immediately after the recording of the previous episode of Photo Geek Weekly because we've got something really cool to talk about. Uh, and Jordan's actually had his hands on one of these particular items. Uh, from Panasonic, uh, there's a number of announcements. One of them is a firmware update for the GH5S, G9, and G100, which could be interesting in some ways. I want to get your opinions on that. Um, but you've had hands-on opinions uh, from the the newly announced GH5 Mark II uh, Micro Four Thirds camera. Is that correct? That is. It's in my hand right now. Uh, we've now shot three episodes of the show on this. Uh, had it for a little bit of time, and it's starting. It it caused a bit of a firestorm online uh, when the initial specs for this leaked, <laughs> because this is not the replacement for the well in some ways it is uh but this is not the next in the line of the gh cameras you know this is not the one that'll be on the market for four years the future proof body this is a revision of you know a camera that's already four years old and has been incredibly popular through that the problem is they've just hit a wall with what the processor can do uh, and we were talking about the processors yeah last week how is. get those future proof cameras because we're starting to see upgrades on the g9 the gh5s the box camera which i'll and have the, uh, their... let's talk about those just briefly they yep. have a more um uh, powerful for lack of a better word processor than the gh5 which has one generation prior processor yep. that was just absolutely perfect at the time Time, but technology marches forward. Yeah, it's completely maxed out. Uh, so we've have we've had some firmware updates on the G9 where features just haven't come to the GH5 uh, because or they can't come to the GH5s exactly right? because, which is the uh, because it has the newer processor in it. Yeah, and the biggest one by far is that Panasonic completely rewrote their autofocus algorithms going back to when the S5 was first announced and. None of the benefits of that came to the GH5, uh, which is still, I believe, their most popular camera even now. Uh, so with the GH5 Mark II, they've put the current processor in there, and it does make a big difference in the autofocus. Uh, we tested it for stills and video, and there's a lot less of that contrast detect wobble with it, uh, especially because Micro Four Thirds tends to have deeper depth of field in general with the lenses available to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and our hit rate was better. So it is a dramatic improvement 
uh, with that. Externally, it's exactly the same thing. Uh, the screen is slightly smaller, which is odd, but it's also sharper and brighter. So I think for most people, it's going to be a worthy trade-off for that. Well, yeah, well, that would be interesting too, because, and I've always been curious about this, um, you know, the screen, the, the back LCD screen, not the, the viewfinder, but the screen is probably the biggest drain of battery um, that could be optional. You know, like when we made the transition to mirrorless cameras, um, your screen was activated or at least one screen somewhere was always on and the battery life would have taken a bit of a hit. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it has something to do with that. I'm not sure. Um, maybe it's just the, the the parts that were available, the robustness, the reliability, etc. Um, well, when I'm shooting with the GH5, I really rely on the electronic viewfinder because that screen is quite dim. So I think that's why I do think it's probably a worthy trade-off for most people. Now, is the is the video functionality the same? Are we still seeing the exact same shooting modes? And are, is there any advancement there? Or is it just to get the new firmware from, uh, you know, what's trickling down from the S5? Well, you get quite a few things. So that new processor means we now get 10-bit at 4K60, which was 8-bit before on the GH5. Uh, you can now... Before, you could record internal and external at the same time with all the frame rates except 60. Now you can do that shooting at 60 frames per second as well. So you can have a backup while you're recording externally, which is really important, I find, because those HDMI cables, what do they do, Don? They fail. <laughs> they fail. Uh, the, I, I have had such a point of failure. I've, I was actually shooting with uh, with one earlier today, and it just, in the middle of a shoot, I, I'm not doing anything. It just died yeah that's what they uh, do <laughs> yeah uh and then one thing that uh they're not talking about a lot that i think is actually a really big deal is the gh5 had a very very strong audio amp on it so if you plugged in pretty sensitive microphones you actually couldn't turn the camera volume down low enough to make those usable uh where now it's actually got a low setting and you can turn it before you could go down minus 12 decibels now you can go down minus 8 as well as having the new low mode. So uh, that's also going to make it compatible with a lot of other microphones. I know the most famous one is Sennheiser as a compact wireless mic series that just didn't work on the GH5 at all. So that will now be compatible. You can plug it into a soundboard. Uh, it's just a bit more flexible that way. And speaking of compatibility, uh, the XLR microphone adapter, shutter remote controls, battery grips, etc. It's all completely compatible with the GH5. You yep. know, it's um, it, it's an easy transition from one to another if you need the advantages um, that it's uh, that it's bringing forward. So um, I, I don't know of anybody that's. Um, necessarily going to immediately snap their fingers and say, I'm replacing my GH5 for the no. uh, GH5 Mark II. Um, if, if it's working for you, then that's great. But if you need one and you want to future-proof it, because you know these firmware advances are going to continue. If you've got a brand new processor in, in any camera from any manufacturer now, it's almost a guarantee that through the life cycle of that camera, you will have software advancements that will, uh, you know, again, the, the term trickle down from whatever the next flagship is going to be, where new features are announced. And then there's a period of time where that's the only camera that has it. But it, the trend has been that that will come to other cameras in fairly short order uh, and kind of give you that future proofing of your investment. And, and speaking of such, um, Panasonic has also announced firmware updates for the GH5S, the G9, and the G100, uh, including a raw video output for the GH5S. Does this excite you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we knew it was capable of it. Uh, there have been quite a few cameras shooting raw video on that. And it's an absolutely beautiful picture off that sensor. Very fast readout on it as well. Uh, and now we're just starting to see so much more support for ProRes RAW. It's become quite a bit easier to work with. And now everything actually, you have the metadata that we would expect with raw video like you can actually dial in your white balance and it doesn't matter if it's a big push the image still will fall that. apart I, it's the best i i am shooting uh a prores raw right now with the ninja v for pretty much every uh every deliverable that a company is paying me to shoot video for if even if they don't want it i'm going to shoot it and i'm going to convert it to something else because it's going to let me just produce exactly what i want yeah. and i haven't looked at the footage from the the new pro blends but the previous one that i had did have a bit of a color cast on it sort of a yellowy greenish color cast um that would have been slightly problematic if i was uh shooting video without any raw uh component to it uh, but you know shooting raw stills or raw video uh completely removes that from the equation and uh it's just a better experience all over. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a huge upgrade. Uh, it is. I, that's something I wanted to mention with the GH5 Mark II. I am shocked that they didn't include raw HDMI output on this. Uh, you know, they can say this sensor can't do it, but Olympus has brought out two cameras with, I'm pretty sure the same sensor or a very similar one that are now outputting ProRes raw. So, uh, we will see. Uh, I think this is one of those things where like, hey, this has the new processor in it. So maybe this will be able to get uh, maybe. ProRes RAW uh, again, in the that's future. That's a complete unknown, yeah. uh, a complete unknown for us right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, what was it? Uh, you know, 4K uh, and anamorphic 3.7K for the GH5S. Uh, the G9 has improved autofo uh, autofocus performance, which yeah. uh, the new I think algorithm. Uh, we, were all knew we all knew was coming uh, or I hoped was was coming. And uh, some added video functionality, uh, a red record frame indicator, which I so love. It's great. Um, because it's just a, such a simple thing. You don't screw up whether or not you're recording. When you've got that red frame around it, you know it's recording. And I've done this before. Um, now, this was, this was way back when. Um, this was in... Uh, I was in college. Uh, I was... Uh, in a computer software uh, development program that I flunked out of. <laughs> but at the time, uh, I was also very heavily into video games. And I, uh, I went to E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, which was press only. I created a website where I backdated articles to make it look like it was legit legitimate for a long period of time uh, in order to gather press credentials, registered it as a business and everything so that I could get into E3. Uh, and that was in 2005 and 2006. And uh, I think in 2006, I got from my uh, from my college, they loaned me professional camera equipment to go and film the the expo, and I got to to meet uh, Charles Martinet, who was the voice of Mario, and I got him to say a an amazing plug for my website. It wasn't recorded because it was, I accidentally hit the recording button and then I held up the camera and stopped the recording for him to do this little spiel and then press the recording button again. And when I reviewed that footage, I wept and I did not stop weeping for a long time. Uh, so that red frame, red is not frame to be is understated, great. how useful 
how useful that is. Especially these uh, cameras don't have tally lamps. So I would love to say, no, Don, I'm, I'm a professional. I've never experienced the heartbreak of that, uh, <laughs> but I am all too familiar with it, sadly. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, some other uh, function, they added the power save mode that was uh, introduced in the S series cameras. Yeah. Uh, and the camera will now be recognized when it's connected to the PC via a USB power supply port. Um so whatever that means, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, the G100 firmware minor upgrades added functionality. Users can manage camera orientation information. That was added uh, in the S-series cameras as well. Uh, and the camera, again, can be recognized when connected to the PC via the USB power supply port. Why ever that's important, I'm not sure. But that is I, I now I think a the thing. G100 could have used a lot of firmware on top of those small upgrades. That's the one uh, that could you use know, it the most. But I, I love my tiny little GX9. I don't think it's going to get yeah. any firmware updates with new features at this point in the game. So I'm eagerly awaiting for whatever the successor of that camera is. And I really hope there is one at some point in the future. Um, but talking about the next camera, this is <laughs> this is a big one. Yeah, this is the replacement of the GH5, the GH6 uh, micro four thirds camera, the flagship of the Lumix GH series for advanced video capability. Now, this is a development announcement. Um, And so it's a little shy on specific details. But with that announcement also comes some lens announcements. So let's dive into this quickly. Um, You can get uh, 422 10-bit DCI 4K at 60 frames per second. Um, But what's really useful uh, for a lot of people is that you can get 10-bit 4K. They don't say the exact breakdown of the 10-bit, but uh, at 120 frames per second. uh, So you've got that uh, and variable frame rate for high resolution quick motion video. They don't say how high that goes, if it goes 180 or 240 or whatever, but uh, I'm assuming that it's going to be at some flagship level. It's going to be high. Um, and moreover, uh, they say that you can record 10 bit 5.7 K 60 frames per second video, taking full advantage of the newly developed micro four thirds sensor. So you can actually read, you can infer a lot from that. I'm actually really happy with how much there is there. Uh, the first thing that we know is if you can do 5.7 K, that means it's around a 20 to 22 megapixel sensor. Actually 24. Um, I, I did the number crunching on that because it would be 5,760. Oh, because it's four by three, of course. Yeah. Right. I was thinking because so two by three. three, it's 24. Yes. Ah, right. So, you did it so better it's than in the ballpark of 24. Uh, yeah. The exact numbers, if that was the full width of the sensor uh, divided by, and I came up with like 24.88 megapixels, but I don't know if that's perfectly accurate. So around 24, let's right. just call it that. Yeah. Uh, and it can do... Uh, at least 60 frames per second, full readout on that. So it's a very fast scanning sensor. I am very curious. It says 4K 120. If it can do 4K 120 without a crop, then this suddenly becomes incredibly interesting because the compromise that other camera manufacturers are making is uh, you have something like the A7S 3 that's very low resolution, a 12 megapixel sensor, but super fast readout. So it can do 4K 120 with a fairly minor crop. Uh, if right. this is giving us an oversampled image, which is more detail, less noise at the end of the day, and it can read it out at 120th of a second, then suddenly this becomes one of the best like action, slow motion kind of cameras. And that's exactly the kind of niche Micro Four Thirds needs to find again. It's got to find something it can do 
better than anything else. And because the sensor is smaller, it should be able to read out at four times the speed of some of those new full frame sensors. So that's got me thinking very little rolling shutter, crazy good slow motion recording. So I'm hoping 4K 120 without a crop, this will be probably the most compelling little video camera for under five grand. And I know that Sony had uh, announced availability of a uh, 4K, uh, you know, a cameras. Uh, sorry, uh, why am I saying 4K? Of uh, 24 megapixels. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brain is being scattered right now. 24 megapixel Micro Four Third sensors have been in the lineup of parts that could be ordered from Sony for a while now, and I'm not sure if that was just that they could be ordered, but availability mm-hmm. um, was not there, or you know how long it takes a company to build that into a product. And I don't even know if it's one of those sensors. Yeah. Um, but the next leap, I think, is going to be uh, to 24 megapixels in the Micro Four Third space, uh, thereabouts, you know, ballpark. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I, as a photographer, the cinema features in this camera are fantastic because I, I do use it. You know, yeah. I, I do cinema work professionally. Um, but as a photographer, that 24 megapixels also brings that high resolution mode if it includes it. Uh, I don't see why they wouldn't, but um, it, I have no details on that. Would bring it to 96 megapixels over the previous 80. Uh, and that just kind of edges things up a little bit and makes yeah. it all that much more relevant um, as I was using with my S1, which I, has the same resolution on a, on a full frame sensor. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more details on this as they are released. This is just a development announcement. We don't know. Um, you know it says the flagship camera will, uh, will be available for release to worldwide markets by the end of 2021. So it's in the works right now. Uh, it's probably available in some prototype that's being tweaked if it's going to be mass produced uh, by the end of this year. And, um, and that means we're going to get it soon. Uh, but we don't know when, and we don't know the full spec list. Uh, we'll assume we'll get it later this year. Yeah, when we do, I'm going to get my hands on one ASAP and get some uh, get an episode out. Uh, and it's worth pointing to out too. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, we will have an episode on DP Review TV discussing the uh, GH6 specs. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, it's not just the the new camera uh, lenses, uh, or at least one lens here that I see, they were also referencing the previous 10 to 25 millimeter f 1.7 lens, mm-hmm. which is a workhorse, beautiful, fantastic lens. You've got one. I, I adore it. Yeah, it's my favorite micro four thirds lens just lives and- on these things. And they have its sister is about to be born, uh, the Leica DG 25 to 50 f 1.7. So it carries on from the 10 to 25. Now we've got the 25 to 50, which again, you double the focal length for the equivalency. So 50 to 100 in full frame, uh, you know, equivalencies there. And that the speed and the design of the first one. Uh, the 10 to 25 was rock solid. Um, you know, the, the focusing clutch and, and, uh, just the, the build quality was great. I think yours broke at one point. Uh, but I believe that may have been fixed. Uh, some parts might have your equipment. (laughs) I am not as kind to it as some people are. Uh, they didn't (laughs) specify that there will be a focus clutch. I couldn't get that out of them, but they said it will fit into existing follow focus systems. So that makes me say it would make no sense whatsoever for them to emphasize that if it's not going to have that sweet. You can't see it, but you can hear it clicky clack clutch on there. I love that. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Well, uh, that is uh, the announcements from Panasonic. Do, do you feel 
I mean, just in general, that uh, that Micro Four Thirds is renewing itself. You know, Olympus is kind of doubling down on the. Or well, you can't really call them Olympus anymore. It's the OM Digital. The solution. OMD, yeah, yeah, OM Digital, right? Yeah, um, uh, the OM Digital Solutions people are uh, are really uh, you know beating the right drum in Panasonic too with this Micro Four Thirds. I, I've always loved this ecosystem of small, accessible, easy to carry and travel with type of cameras. And it makes sense for video as well, especially if you're building a cage around something which can get unwieldy as things get bigger and bigger. Um, is, this, is this the next step that is going to be completely relevant for years to come? Yeah, I mean, it's been so long since we've had a new Micro Four Thirds sensor, and I think that's where all of the Micro Four Thirds dad uh, is dad articles and videos are all coming from. Uh, just having some fresh blood on a new sensor that actually sounds very cutting edge from some of those specs coming out, I think will make a really big difference in that. And yeah, I'm curious. I know that uh, OMD has said they're going to be making quite a few announcements still this year. So uh, I think this is kind of going to be the year where uh, Micro Four Thirds redeems itself, at least in kind of the like enthusiast professional side of things, which I think is really the direction they should be going in right now. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Jordan. I appreciate you uh, sharing your opinions on this story. Happy to drop in and back to you, whoever the guest is. Okay, Steve, you just heard a conversation between me and Jordan Drake on the new Panasonic announcements. Do you have anything you want to add to that before we move on to story three? Yeah, the big one to me, the the first thing that leaped out at me actually is they're releasing this, this body. And I think people that don't know need to understand Panasonic does not use Mark II in the same way that a Canon uses a Mark II. Like a 1DX Mark II sort right, of thing. Right, which is which is an entirely new camera. It's just using the same name moniker, right? This is literally an, an incremental improvement to the original. It's got newer features. They're including some features that used to be paid upgrades like Vlog. That's yep. no longer a paid upgrade. And they're doing it for $300 less than the original camera sold for. So I think that it's a total win for anybody that missed out on the GH5 uh, and wanted uh, an upgrade, but doesn't necessarily need what the GH6 is going to be offering, um, but wants to future-proof their investment because the the best processors that they could put into the camera are in there so that one would hope new features are available in future firmware. And they were even talking about some of those possibilities uh, that would be Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Having heard that conversation with you and Jordan, do you do you think, or, or do you question like I think some people will? Why did they release a GH5 Mark II when they did a pre-announcement on a GH6? Why not just go from a GH5 to a GH6? Why why do they need the Mark II? Uh, well. My guess is partly uh, market segmentation, right? Like, uh, like I just said, some people don't need the features that are going to be in the GH6, and right. one one can just assume that the GH6 is going to cost more than the GH5 Mark II, right? So the then, rumor then, is twenty five hundred dollars for the GH6 compared to seventeen for the GH5 Mark II. So, and I, I can't really comment on on rumors or anything, but but that supports my thinking. Um, you know, the, the idea is that. Um, you know, if you have everything that a GH5 was, and l- l- let's be fair, the GH5S, 
um, is getting improvements in firmware for autofocus improvements because it has a better processor than the GH5 had. And so that was kind of the cutoff of where they could improve the, the autofocus and everything else that just wasn't possible to cram into the processor in the original GH5. So increase the processor performance and it kind of gives which you- they did which they did. Uh, and it gives you all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the trickle down ability of, okay, you release a new camera like they did with the, uh, the S five. And they were able to trickle down the, uh, the, the autofocus improvements to the entire S series line that existed prior, as well as now to the GH five S. And, uh, and so we, we see that as, a new camera comes out, well, maybe some of the features in that new camera will months or a year down the road end up in its predecessor uh, in some form. And so to to have that extra muscle in the camera, I think is really helpful. Uh, and, and who knows, it, it'll probably be a, a slightly more reliable camera. Just if you had issues with overheating, and you have a more powerful processor, and you're not really utilizing it full tilt, um, then it'll, it doesn't I, have to I, get as hot. It doesn't have to get as hot. I mean, that that's just my logical thinking, which is well, totally theoretical right now. Here, but. Here's something else, and that is that what you just described is the normal development model, right? Everything comes out in high-end cars or high-end whatever, high-end homes, and it trickles down high-end TVs that are $4,000, and then a couple of years later, you see it in a $1,500 or $1,000 TV. This thing has the processing engine basically from an S1H, is my understanding. So- Again, for $300 less than the original, you're getting amazing power. It's got much better IS, which I think the, the, the market segment for this body will really appreciate another stop and a half of, of IS. Yep. One thing that Chris and Jordan's video, or more to the point the article kind of hinted to, is in their AF tests, it is better at 60 frames a second. And it was kind of a funny one with Chris kind of dancing towards the camera, uh, but not <laughs> check that the, out at DP. Review yeah, check TV, that out, please. But but they 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 kind of intimated that it wasn't better in 24p, and they hope to see those improvements. And I'm sure again, you're not going to make this thing into the top of the line camera. It's not. That's what the GH6 is for. But I think what they put in here. Oh, by the way, better mic level adjustments. I think for a lot of people, better better level adjustments could be a huge thing as well. There's some really cool stuff in here for the price. And and to be fair, um, this could also uh, and again, I don't have any inside knowledge on this. I mean, we were embargoed to talk about what the press releases that they put out, but this could be an interesting use case for a test bed for technologies um, because you've got uh, the hardware. That is, uh, I I don't want to say like it's all old gen. I mean, like it's the same sensor as the GH5, I believe, and and some of that same stuff. And there are other improvements on the processing side of things. Um, But Canon in the past had rolled out new features in sub flagship products. Uh, like, um, when you have your, uh, dual pixel raw format that was not right. available in a one D series body, it was available in lesser bodies. And I don't even know if it rolled out in the latest. I would argue X. that was, that was quite possibly just a release time frame that the, when that was ready, it was ready at a time when the five series was going to be rolled out, not the one no, series. No, yeah, that, I, that may have been timing. 
because I I had the the One DX Mark II and it had a dual pixel raw uh, or a, a dual pixel um, autofocus on the sensor, but not dual pixel raw. They they just excluded the feature, even though it could have been there. Interesting. Um, okay. And so uh, you know, from that regard, you know, sometimes it can go in a different way. And I'm thinking that if you did want to. Uh, create um, a platform where you could test out new technologies that uh, critical infrastructure wouldn't want to have a beta version of something or something that might be modified or changed, right. but you'd want to get some feedback on a, I don't want to say an amateur level because this camera can be used in high-end production environments just fine. Um, but those environments would probably opt for a GH6 if they were looking at a camera like this. Um, Speaking of which, GH6, the one thing you and Jordan didn't talk about. What for you is the the marquee feature in the six? Um, that's a great question because we don't have all of the specifics, right? Like I don't know what battery life is going to be. I don't know. We don't know a hundred percent even what the megapixels is, but we can guess. We, you know? we we can guess, and so I I'm making a guess in the ballpark of twenty four megapixels, right? Um, and that I think is actually important because every uh, micro four thirds camera has been. Uh, limited to 20 megapixels at the highest level. And now we're having new sensors come out that push that a little bit further. And I think that's going to be helpful. So I don't want to say that that's, uh, that, that that's necessarily the marquee uh, component for me, but I I'd say that that's an important improvement and, and it's not huge 20 to 24. Um, but because the camera is uh, basically a video centric camera, then that puts you up to that. I think it was 5.7 K, uh, as a format in a smaller body size. Uh, I think that is critical, especially if you can get a, uh, a raw format, uh, to, to an external recorder. Well, and I, I would argue actually the 20 to 24 is big 20 to 24 was enough for people to complain about the Canon R6, right? <laughs> people enough. complained about the R6 saying, Oh, it's only this. If only it was 24 like it was a huge difference. It's not, but but to the consumer mind, it might be. To me, the marquee feature is one of two. Either it's the 5.7K, 10-bit 60, right? That's going to depend partially, I think, on is there a recording limit. But 10-bit Cinema 4K at 422 with no recording limit, again, for the market that this is, yeah. that, that could be the marquee feature to me. Well, and if you pair that, because that, that's going to chew through data, uh, you know, on memory cards uh, quite heavily. I mean, if, if you need to do like time lapse for 10 hours of something, yeah, technically you can do it. Uh, if you plug the camera into a, an AC adapter uh, or, you know, however else you can get continuous right. power and, uh, and just constantly record. You know, we're seeing... Uh, SD cards continually increasing in capacity. I, I think we're up to a terabyte now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there's probably some uh, uh, upper limit that the cameras can recognize, but I foresee that we will see two, four, maybe eight terabyte memory cards specifically for continuous use video uh, in, in the future. I wouldn't put all my eggs in one basket for stills, but if you just need to record a ton of data for some time-lapse sequence that you might want to slow down back to original speed at any point you wish, um, then you need to be recording in real time. 
right? Uh, and so that could enter some interesting opportunities along the way. Um, we'll see. Um, but, uh, but being able to do that nonstop and have no requirements to kind of have a cutoff based on uh, heat or, uh, you know, artificially imposed time limitations like we had in the past at just a second less than 30 minutes. Um, so yeah, uh, I think, I think we're good there. I think we've, Steve, your additions to that conversation with Jordan and I have pretty well talked that one to death, but and I, and I will say, I will say, I, I love the way totally unrelated to this specific story. You and I have talked about this before. I, I truly love the way that, that Jordan and Chris together specifically as a team, but each individually as well. I love the way that they look at gear. Yep. I don't even mean their, their DP review TV reviews. I mean, mentally their approach to gear and, and judging it, I think is refreshing. Because it's relatively unbiased. I mean, yes. you know that they have their favorites, but they're not they're not being paid to promote one over another. Uh, and and so I find that incredibly well, but, but you valuable. can do that and still look at the wrong market segment. They always manage to think about the real person that's going to use it. And a lot and of reviewers so don't can- do that. You can find those wonderful reviews and musings of uh, Chris Nichols and Jordan Drake at DP Review TV, uh, and uh, that's available on YouTube, and I'll make sure that we get the links to that in the show notes uh, at photogeekweekly.com. Now into some less technical stories, but kind of technical if we drill down far enough. Um, so I found this one on F-Stoppers. I... I just find this comical yet confusing, and it does raise some interesting questions. Um, the article title from Andy Day, uh, who we've uh, talked about stories from Andy in the past. Um, and he's been on my show before, too. Yeah, great guy. Um, this drug dealer got caught because he photographed some cheese. So, Steve, you want to fill in the listeners on what the story's about? This just cracks me up, man. So w- one of the things that was interesting was was the word that was in the article, notorious. A notorious <laughs> drug dealer in the UK was sentenced to 13 years in jail. We're talking allegedly uh, dealt in cocaine and MDMA and heroin and ketamine. And what happened was this guy actually used an encrypted chat service called EncroChat. And the police infiltrated EncroChat chat and ended up shutting it down. But there was somebody in the chat system named Toffee Force. So first Love of all, it. if you are a notorious <laughs> criminal and your handle is Toffee Force, really, again, I'm questioning your life choices. But <laughs> there was a guy by the name of Carl Stewart, and he was in a grocery store and he photographed uh, some Stilton blue cheese. And the police used that photo where it was just basically his hand holding up the blue cheese to match his fingerprints and, quote, his palm to identify that Stewart was Toffee Force. Now, I and they underst- were able to arrest him. I understood this uh, backwards, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it was Toffee Force that posted the photo of the cheese. But uh, uh, Carl Stewart had his fingerprints in the police system. 
And so that's right. how and they that's were the able way to, I should have worded it. That's the way right. I should because they they had to match the fingerprints in the palm. Print. Right. Uh, and I'm looking at the photo in the article, and now they, they may have downresed it, uh, but I can't see fingerprints in this image, and I'm suspicious because I'm looking at the photograph of this mature blue Stilton cheese, which oddly does look delicious, but stuffed in a green olive. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, but if. If you look at it closely, the text is legible, but it's hard to read because there's some motion blur uh, yep. introduced from the camera. And it's if you've ever seen motion blur uh, on hard edges, it's very easy to recognize what that is. But the fingerprints in such a scene with very flat lighting uh, would be completely obscured by that motion blur. But they now, mentioned in the article his palm and his palm, the lines in his palm are pretty recognizable. That could be it. It could be it, but even it, like a cut, there there appears to be a cut on the palm, and so there there might be some identifiers there that they could use. But um, yeah, it makes me worry about you know, especially as video is getting higher and higher res. Like waving to somebody, it's like, hi, Steve. Now you have a copy of all my fingerprints that you could three D print and rob a bank uh, and yep. uh, leave my prints all over the place. Um, technology is evolving so quickly, and and there is uh, deconvolution technology out there that can. Uh, you know, uh, using algorithms to figure out how to remove that motion blur to possibly reconstruct patterns that would otherwise have been obscured. But then you're, you're, you're not tampering with evidence, you're changing it to try and get the original results in a way that is non original to the captured image. And I don't know if that's been truly tested in in court, uh, whether or not you could have some like groups of pixels um, that somehow represent a license plate that could programmatically uh, be deconvoluted or enhanced to actually reveal what that license plate is, like we've seen on crime scene shows for decades. Um, Please enhance that. Yeah, and then yeah. oh, now we got that uh, that license plate. We can track down that uh, that car. Um, now, technology is evolving to the point where that might be possible. But if it comes down to that being the requirement uh, to be like entered into evidence uh, in order to get the conviction, would it be admissible? Well, and that that is a huge question. I mean, there's an, bringing this to photography again. If you're doing model releases, most lawyers will tell you get a written paper model release because in court, nobody can argue that it was manipulated digitally. Yes. And therein uh, lies the rub says, is, uh, says this I could often, you know, win. Uh, yes, exactly. And, and win or lose, I can't imagine any lawyer worth their salt not challenging the fact that you found him through digital manipulation. However, this guy did plead guilty. Yes. And, uh, probably got, uh, and I don't know any of the specifics, but if you're pleading guilty, uh, and you're, uh, notorious as such, um, then, uh, the prison sentence of 16 years, uh, or sorry, uh, of 13, 13 years, and years, six months. Um, and, uh, you know, he probably got a reduced sentence based on him pleading guilty and not dragging this th through the court system. But that's still a lot of time. Um, and he was caught because of his love of cheese. Did you, did you read the last line in the article? 
with all the cheese references? I did. I almost was going to echo it on this podcast, although some of it might be lost by verbalizing it, so I will not. Let's just say they talk about feta, gouda, Edom, and brie. And that's uh, not a quartet. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, Anyhow, uh, you can find that at uh, at the show notes at photogeekweekly.com. And thank you, uh, Andy Day, for writing about this fun way that photography is uh, is catching criminals. You know, you don't usually think of, you know, I think of, you know, uh, photography and policing and crime more like the crime scene investigators that are trying to push the limits and uncover evidence. But sometimes that evidence is just presented in a way that uh, if you know what you're looking for, You've got it right there. Um, But this last story, and this is kind of interesting, controversial, um, at at least from my perspective, anyhow, um, from Petapixel, uh, high school edits yearbook. uh, 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 A high school edits their yearbook photos to hide girls' chests. And I should put in parentheses, it's not in the title. Also shoulders. Um, And... So this is a story, a high school in Florida, um, the uh, Bartram Trail High School, uh, particularly in, in their yearbook here, um, has sparked outrage after it was discovered that at least 80 female students had their photos digitally edited in the yearbook to hide their chests and shoulders. Um, and so the, the article starts with a photograph of a student, Riley O'Keefe, um, 15-year-old ninth grader at the school, uh, found that a straight black bar had been overlaid on her clothing to cover slightly more of her chest. Uh, many other photos of girls in the yearbook found similarly clumsy changes to their portraits. And it, by the way, it wasn't just um, the, the black bar across. They also, for some reason, photoshopped a rectangle of the fabric onto the left-hand side of it, camera left. Oh, no, I know exactly what it is. If you look (laughs) at it close, what they did was they took an angled rectangle that included part of the sweater, but the lower part avoiding the edge of the blouse and rotated it up. And that's what that is, is that's the blouse rotated. And And these edits are, I'm going to say, atrocious. A high school student could easily do better than this. So my assumption based on that and how uh, high school uh, kids are so, uh, you know, technologically, you know, intuitive to to this type of technology right now, I'm going to guess that this was faculty. It's a total guess on that part. Oh, Um, I know. I know who it is. Oh, I know who did it. Tell me more. So first of all, I I have to start with this. Florida. Come on, man. (laughs) Take a day off. You're given you're it's the it's the state that that keeps on giving. Uh, I know total, some very nice people in Florida and they have to I keep do apologizing too. to me about their fellow neighbors. I know somebody from Florida that actually calls themselves Florida man because of the joke. But this is just so a total of 80 photos were covered and what they're covering in case you don't go look at the pictures. Let me be clear here is imagine, and these are not low-cut blouses, right? They're normal blouses that a woman might have that have a slight curved neckline to them and show a tiny bit of cleavage. In some cases, as Don said, it's just bare uh, skin on the chest, right below the neck or shoulders. But it actually, in the the article or a, a subsequent article I read on it, 
There was a yearbook. Oh, I know what it was. It was Joe McLean, a journalist from Florida, said that the yearbook coordinator, they said this in a tweet, believed that the photos violated the student code of conduct. And so that teacher slash coordinator did the edits herself. So huh. it was the yearbook coordinator that went, you know, I'm going to edit these things in the worst possible way. And the catch is it's the girls. Well, yeah, because <laughs> this is the fun catch because quoted from um, Action News Jacks, uh, quote, they looked at the boys for the swimsuit team photos and the other sports photos and thought that was fine. And that's really upsetting and uncomfortable because, yeah, they had the boys swim team in Speedos and there was no violation there. Uh, and right. and that, that, I think, says it all, right? Well, there was somewhere I read it and I don't remember where, but 78% of the violations in that district of the student you know, code of conduct – are given to female students. 78% are given to female students, which is bizarre. Now, in in I don't want to say in defense, but but in full disclosure, the school district's website does say photos must be consistent with St. John's County School District student code of conduct or may be digitally adjusted. So, they were upfront hmm. that they might do this. Yeah, but or this is they, they there, there was one. I, I, Did you I'd see like the one to go with the plaid shirt. Oh God, yeah, yeah. And, but but there was also the one uh, that had the, the bare shoulders across, uh, and you know th there was no issues with uh, you know that unless you have to have your shoulders covered, and it was just like clone stamp hardness one hundred percent in circles. Blop 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 blop. And oh, it's, it's just, just horrible. Uh, it was terrible. But the thing is, I mean, if you're a student uh, at one of these schools, that that's your everyday attire, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, I mean, you might be dressing up a little bit fancier if you know it's photo day. Uh, but, yeah, that's, but, but that's a key point, though, Don. Photo day. All schools have a photo day. They wore these and were walking around campus probably at school the day that these were taken. And they were already have, at school. If you have the photographer, and let's bring this back to the, the photographer's possible responsibility here too. Um, if if you give the photographer a checklist, okay, uh, that says everything in the wardrobe uh, that needs to be matched, right? Like a, you, you gotta, you, you can't wear, uh, you know, short shirts, uh, that, you know, that, that go too low or you can't expose your shoulders. And you know, if that's what their dress code is, that's, it's what the dress code is. Um, but if it's the photographer taking the pictures and they could go through such a checklist, is there some responsibility on the photographer to say, uh, no, student, um, you know, your image doesn't meet our dress code, so we can't use it uh, in any of the school related stuff. So you can choose from one of these cover up uh, garments. Uh, and just have a, a rack of, you know, a couple of spare shirts right. that, that would uh, make them, uh, you know, I guess, consistent with that dress code. Here's a question. Who owns the copyright? Because if the photographer owns the copyright, arguably they could have prevented the school from editing these. 
Possibly, but if you're licensing the image, you'd have to look at the contract. That's what I'm the, saying. Because the but contract this comes down to, to rights. It, it does, and and the school would have the rights to. Uh, obviously, they would have the rights to republish the images. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they have the rights to edit them. Uh, and so the photographer in this case might be able to look back at their contract and state that the school themselves, um, they, they did not, um, uh, meet the obligations of that contract. The contract is void and thereby this is then copyright infringement at that point. And well, I'm not a which, lawyer. I, I don't want to be no. uh, purporting to be one. But but that, but that I, just but makes sense. But I bring sense. it up for for this reason: the students and the parents want it reprinted. They want the annual. First of all, they want an apology, and they want the yearbook to be reprinted. The students say that it made these edits made them feel sexualized, exposed, and ashamed. Well, the school seems to be indicating there is no way they're going to reprint this. They said that uh, Bartram Trail High School's previous procedure was to not include student pictures in the yearbook that they deemed in violation of the student code of conduct. Uh, so the digital alterations were a solution to make all students, uh, to make sure that all students were included in the yearbook. And they end by saying they are offering refunds and receiving feedback to better do the process next year. So they're clearly kind of stating, no, we're not redoing this year. Well, maybe it could be, again, based on the contract. They only had a license to print it once. And printing it twice would mean that the photographer who could took be. the photographs would need to be paid again. And that would be a, a very significant ad additional cost. I don't know. It's a total uh, assumption on my part. But um, what, Personally, what I it, find it disgusting and they should redo it. I, I Yeah. You know what? We're talking about it because they are not owning this. Um, and saying that they are uh, apologetic and so on, but they aren't. And that's a pervasive mentality uh, in certain parts of the world, but they've gone about it in entirely the wrong way. And so I almost didn't want to talk about this because we are talking about photos of minors um, that have been retouched to make them less, um, I, I, I don't know, uh, sexualized and, and minors should never be uh, in any way that way. But they aren't to begin with. And so you're just completely going off the rails with these types of edits and these policies. Just let get, let, let kids be kids. Um, and yeah, if, if the dress code no, the is really parents, strict, the parents knew what their kids went to school wearing. Exactly. Right. And, and they're going to be photographed on school day or on, on, on picture day at school in, in the yearbook. I mean, obviously there's not anybody that's going to show up with something that is, totally egregious and the parents approved so again this is such uh, a, a bad manipulation of reality and we yep. shouldn't be facing that right now uh and so we're calling them out um that uh, that high school uh bartram trail high school uh i'm mentioning that name again because uh, not not to hate on the students um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're all great kids. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, every school has some bad kids, every school I went to anyhow. Um, but the average is going to be good. And the problem is not with the kids, uh, within these images. So there we have it. Um, that is the final story for this episode of photo geek weekly. And you can find the show notes for, uh, all of these stories at photogeekweekly.com. And before we get into our picks of the week, um, Steve, where can people find you and your podcast? 
Uh, they can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Steve Brazel. It's like Brazil, but two L's. They can find the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at Behind the Shot TV. My website is stevebrazel.com and the podcast is at behindtheshot.tv. And of course, the podcast is also uh, on YouTube, Behind the Shot on YouTube, Behind the Shot group on Flickr. All of, and, and by the way, at the time we're recording this, we've booked the guest for our next critique show. Uh, and Andy Anatko is going to be back. So that's going to be fun. I love the critique we did with him before, and he was adamant that he wanted to come back. And I'm so he glad that he's coming back after. so soon. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and I by the way, I did talk to just, just so that you know, I also talked to uh, a Nikon ambassador, Deborah Sandage, and she's agreed to be on. She couldn't do it this time, but I will reach out to Deborah again later. So we're getting some really good people doing the critique that's shows. Awesome. I love doing those critique shows. It's so much fun. Um, so let's get into the picks. Uh, uh, mine is, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm absorbed in, in my book right now because it, it, my life is packaging things and I can hear my wife in the other room taping up boxes right now to help me keep the momentum as I'm diverting my attention to record this podcast. So, um, more books going out every day, but as we open up the boxes, and we look, uh, you know, and just kind of check the quality of, of every book. You want to make sure that uh, there's no scuffs, that there's no, uh, you know, uh, scratches or that, you know, the, the end sheets don't have any um, any ink or grease or anything on it, um, that everything is exactly as you expect it to be. And I know from my first book, Sky Crystals, that, you know, in every box, there was one questionable book. Sometimes it would pass muster, sometimes it wouldn't. Um, and, uh, and so you'd have a certain percentage that you'd, uh, what I had done at the time is I didn't just waste them. Um, I did give some to my neighbors and family and friends and stuff, but, but I, but I also gave a good chunk of them, uh, that had some of the defects to libraries, uh, because, you know, if there's a scratch on the cover, well, it's fine. I mean, it's going to happen anyhow, but I don't want to give it to somebody that's, right. um, uh, you know, uh, paying for it. Um, my defect number is so low for this production run i have to give it to the press the the printers that produced this book the quality is absolutely phenomenal uh and so a big shout out and recommendation if you ever need anything printed it doesn't have to be a book when i did my um my snowflake uh, or the uh the snowflake uh poster print i did it in two sizes 16 by 24 and 24 by 36 uh, and steve you have one of them behind you right yes, now. yes i do it's on the uh, wall and everything i record um that is printed by freezens uh they did a production run of that and that told me that yes the quality is phenomenal uh with this and that's why i went to them to produce this book they did not disappoint. So whether it's a mass production run of a print, whether it's a book, doesn't have to be a photo book. You want to get a novel done? Sure. You know, they're, they're volume printers. They're not print on demand. So you don't get one off from them. Uh, right. The setup cost is a couple of thousand dollars. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 w when I'm printing uh, a couple of thousand copies, it's useful, but you can do a couple of hundred too, and still uh, make make it profitable based on uh, you know how big it is and how involved the project is. But they did such a good job. Now that I have the books in my hands right now, Friesen's Press, um, go there, uh, FriesenPress.com, and the link will be in the show notes. Uh, if you ever need a printer, they're the best in Canada. Uh, the biggest 
printed uh, sky crystals and I had issues. I had to have the entire uh, print run scrapped and redone. Uh, and that was transcontinental printing. And Friesen, they're a smaller, more boutique press. They did perfect. They did perfect. Um, I couldn't have expected better. They did. Uh, and I don't know how this one, because a lot of the stuff is um, uh, sort of uh, automated machinery, right? When you're, when you're doing one of the books was bound in an opposite direction because the book's square, right? So I guess one of the, um, the unbound copies of pages was rotated uh, 90 degrees. So I actually have a calendar edition uh, copy of my new book. I've got one copy of it. There's only one that's defective in that way. And if there is, by the time I'm done shipping everything, only one, I'm going to auction that copy off. I already had somebody on Twitter say that they'd be willing to, to, to put in a hundred bucks for it. So, um, uh, and I'm kind of going off the rails here of, of my pick, but, but I will say that if I only have the one, I'll auction it off, donate hundred percent of the proceeds to charity, uh, give you a copy of the book and donate a proper copy, uh, to, uh, to your local library. So nice. uh, I'm, I'm having fun with those, those defects when they come up, but they're so rare with this production. I'm only getting a handful of them. The nice, nice. Go. I'm anxious for favorite. mine. You told me mine, mine should be here next week. I'm excited for it. It should be. I've started getting the U.S. shipments out the door. And, uh, you know, especially for people that I was, uh, uh, Steve, there, there, there's a, a special note in yours. And so I did a day Ooh. last week where I wrote a bunch of nice letters to people that have supported me in the project uh, and uh, and sent those books out just as a, uh, a nice little gesture. And everybody that backed the book will be getting them. If I can, if I can keep this momentum up and, and if, if I'm hearing my wife correctly, she's wrapping right now about one book every 40 seconds, um, then, uh, then we're, we're rocking this. I'm going to might, might have to do two deliveries, uh, to the postal office. Tomorrow. How long do you think it will take total? Three weeks from now, uh, to do all the Kickstarter and all the pre-orders on my website. Um, wow. be, uh, because there's, there's a lot there too. So, uh, when I jokingly say, you know, this is my life now, it, it really legitimately is. <laughs> it's, it's all well. I'm doing aside from, well, I, I mean, I, I've got a five-year-old girl in the house and I have to be in dad mode at least three days of the week when my wife works. And so, yeah, I, it's, it's a difficult balance, but that's the only thing that I'm working on right now. Well, I'm looking forward to it. My pick is something I, I've done some testing on. It's actually turned on as we speak. And uh, I've it's heard so much. It's been on the so whole episode, of, by the way. It's not like you've been on the whole the episode. And I'll tell you why I had it on here in a second. But my mic interface for the microphone that I'm using, when we do the critique shows, I use a different microphone that's an overhead microphone. Those are both plugged into a Sound Devices Mix Pre 3 2, which is an amazing interface that I wish I had bought years and years ago. I've gone through three or four of them. I've had issues with everything. I love this thing. But <clears throat> Sound Devices sells a plugin called Noise Assist. And what Noise Assist is, it is a real-time noise reduction for generally on-location filming. So you take this Mix Pre 3 with you. It has quarter 20 mounts on both the top and the bottom, so you can mount it on a tripod and put something on top of it and record in the field. But it's also useful for this Noise Assist plugin for a noisy studio. For example, a friend of mine, no names being mentioned, has uh, an air conditioning type 
sound in his studio at all times. This would do wonders for that because it's an algorithm that reduces background noise like traffic, uh, HVAC, generators, fans, whatever, in real time. It takes like 15 seconds for it to get the profile, and then it reduces it in real time with almost no effect on your voice. And there's a setting from zero all the way up to 20. The default is, well, I should say negative from zero to negative 20. The default setting as it comes is negative 6 dB on the noise reduction. And Chris Judd, if you go look up Chris Judd's review online, and I'm going to do a review on it, he stood on the side of a freeway as 18 wheelers drove by him and slowly increased, or I should say decreased the setting, but increased the noise reduction. You couldn't hear the 18 wheelers drive by him and he sounded absolutely fine. The reason I turned it on for this microphone today is because they were doing construction next door. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe it'll reduce the noise of the construction. You can only put it on one instance. So I can put it on one microphone at a time or for my stereo output, I can put it on one channel at a time, left or right channel, the left or right bus. It's not cheap. It's $300 for the plugin. But But uh, as people say, that's the reason you get the mix pre three is that noise reduction. Well, and, and the thing is, you know, I've I've paid um, audio engineers to edit some episodes of this podcast because there was bleed through or there was just audio issues that, you know, I have a rudimentary understanding of, of how to process audio, but I'm no savant at it, right? And so, you know, I, I've paid good money. Uh, I've over the years, I've paid more than $300 to have the audio cleaned up, uh, not on my side, but you know, uh, usually it's on the guest, um, uh, coming through and there was some issue, some, sometimes it, it was even the recording, uh, you know, we're using Zencaster to record this now and they have not always been reliable. Uh, and there's been some drift issues, uh, over time, which obviously this wouldn't solve, but, um, you want to have the best possible audio because dealing with it afterwards and trying to make it better is like trying to rescue a muddy JPEG from, uh, I lost five hours. I recorded an episode with somebody that was using an Apple headset, using the microphone on the wire and they were very animated and that microphone uh, kept going across their clothes and I didn't hear it in my headphones. So we re-recorded the show. And when we re-recorded the show, they bought Apple AirPods. But for some reason, the recording with their Apple AirPods has no frequencies above 4,000. Okay. And that's in the original recording on Zencaster, which records on their side. So that's what their mic was giving me. It's I'm running with it at this point. I, I'm not going to record it or ask them to record a third time. I'm going to run with it. But... My point being, part of the reason I got this is I live in Southern California where we get days that are 90 to 110 on a regular basis over the summer. But when I record, I turn turn my air conditioner off. (laughs) And I've had days I'm in here sweating to death. Now I'll be able to have my air conditioner on and be comfortable. Uh, uh, Just uh, a follow-up question. Is your air conditioner on right now? It is not. I should turn it on just to see. You, sh- you should have turned it on to make this test a little bit more viable here. Yes, I should. Here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna force it to come on as we speak, All because right. uh, again, it it is so far in my tests. I am very very um, 
very, very impressed with what this does. There, the air will turn on in a second. Once it does, uh, hold on. And it's on. Okay. So, so I'll just be silent and you tell me if you hear it. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I keep my audio pretty, pretty low level here. Same but, with me. You'll uh, know but, in the but, recording. But hold on. No, no. Uh, let, let, let's just give this a 10 second gap here because we're, we're testing things live here, everybody. And it's at the end of the episode and nobody listens to the really end of the episode. So let's do this test. 10 seconds. There you go. So we'll see if it comes out in the recording. What's interesting is I'm three feet from my FAU, the the air blower. So I've got like a three foot duct to this room. The air conditioning is loud in here. Like I can hear it through my headphones right now. And I'll bet you it's not being recorded. Let's hope so. Uh, And if so, then you know what tool will keep you cool uh, is this noise assist plugin. So thanks for that, uh, that pick. Uh, Steve, I think that might be really helpful to some people. Not many. I mean, there's people like us, but it's people like us that listen to this podcast. Um, So thank you very much for being a listener to what is probably going to be the longest episode. uh, Because as I'm recording with Steve, I'm seeing a minute and 16 seconds, and I haven't interjected Jordan's uh, segment at this point yet, which Which is 20 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you like the longer form uh, podcast, if you like multiple guests, then let us know uh, and reach out to me via the photogeekweekly.com website, or you'll find my email address anywhere online. But thank you very much for listening to this episode. I still haven't been vaccinated yet. I I get my first vaccine on June 9th. Uh, So for me, I am still in a sort of stay at home circle right now. And so the ending tag for this podcast will continue to be, it's time to stay in and shoot. 